0: The Janice Daniels Show. Janice Daniel
1: show. Repeat after me. America is a republic, and there's nothing democratic about the Democrat Party. Let's get our words right, people. She's tough. What part of show not infringe don't you legislators understand? Read the Constitution. Read the Bill of Rights. Read the stupid so-called laws that you guys sign your names to. Your focus is shameful. She's smart. And besides, what have you legislators done that gives you power? Power over us. Trick the people into electing you? Swearing an oath that you don't seem to understand or follow? She's tenacious. I say bring the electoral college to the county level for all national elections so Michigan isn't governed by sanctuary jurisdictions like Wayne and Washtenaw counties.
0: She's sassy.
1: Michigan has a big problem. We have too many people who exhibit seditious behavior in elected office and that needs to change. I'm hoping against hope we can change the change. Let's talk about some of this stuff on the Janice Daniels Show. This could be fun. And now, your host, Janice Daniels. Now, last weekend, we talked about the constitutional duties of the governor of the state of Michigan and, in in fact, any governor in any state, and how badly they are um, going adrift from what their constitutionally mandated limitations are. So now today, what we want to do is talk to an expert about the bigger picture. What is going on? Because not only are our governors going way far adrift, but we know that the entire government has gone adrift. So I have invited a gentleman named Rich Higgins. He has an organization called Unconstrained Analytics, and he looks at threat assessments without preconceived notions or biases. I want to welcome rich to this to the show this morning. Hello, Rich. How are you.
0: you? I'm well, thank you for having me.
1: Good, good. I'm glad that you're here today. Um, Basically, I would like you to give a background of what your um, expertise is so that my audience understands the level of knowledge that you have and where you're coming from.
0: Okay, well, in a nutshell, I'm an expert on what the Defense Department calls irregular warfare or unconventional warfare. And, um, you know, a quick bio is I started out as an explosive specialist in the military, and then in 2000 I went to work with the Justice Department Uh, in late 2002 I returned to the Defense Department, this time as a civilian, uh, initially working uh, the bombing campaign that was taking place in Iraq. Uh, and then over time, that mission segued into a, a broader understanding of what the Defense Department called attacking the network. So uh, these these shadowy groups that fought us uh, in civilian clothes in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other places in the war on terrorism, how do you go about fighting groups like that? So, um, you know, in, in that role, I played a... a you know, I've really got a, I guess i would call it a cross-agency look at, you know, what the CIA does, what the FBI does, how these various actors and organizations participate in the security process of the United States, what their capabilities and limitations were. And so, you know, over the over the course of a career working in the Pentagon, uh, I got, you know, a pretty robust set of skills that allowed me to see much of what was transpiring inside the, you know, the election of Donald Trump and early on in his administration. Um you know I, I infamously, if you will, uh, wrote a memo uh, that I passed back channel uh, to the President, uh, warning him that you know people inside the quote unquote deep state, uh, these national security institutions were using um, you know national technical means, uh, intelligence resources, and others uh, to to subvert his presidency. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Did he
1: answer you, Rich? He he did not answer
0: me directly, but I got feedback after his national security advisor removed me uh, because his national security advisor was was part of the part of the cabal, if you will, uh, that the president had read the memo and that he liked it. Uh, But, you know, again, early on in his administration, this was four months into his presidency. uh, He didn't really understand the scope of what he was up against at the time.
1: Wow, that's pretty interesting. Well, I have to say that the first time that I was introduced to you, Rich, was in a webinar that was uh, put on by or hosted by the Ohio chapter of Act for America. And I took some notes during that. Uh, Interview, unlike David Holmes, who, uh, you know, didn't take notes, even though he went then uh, in a congressional hearing and uh, gave testimony that was supposed to be taken as if it's the real thing, when, in fact, he didn't take any notes. And he was, you know, his memory, I don't think, was exactly exactly on target with that. In fact, I would say that he probably had an agenda anyway. But when I took notes of your interview during the... uh, Uh, Act for for America uh, webinar, uh, I I, I thought that the most interesting thing that I first wrote down was you said that the deep state in the marbled halls of power are afraid of us, and that's how it's supposed to be. Now, is that true? Are the deep state players afraid of us?
0: I think that they are uh, terrified of what the MAGA movement represents, which is, you know, The old paradigm of Republican, Democrat, left, right, uh, those things went out the window with the election of Donald Trump. I mean, we we have to understand, Donald Trump didn't win in your state of Michigan or Ohio or Wisconsin, or he didn't win these states by towing a uh, Republican establishment party line. You know, he he approached the election like an American concerned about America. And I think that um, in so doing, he upset both parties you know, political power structures. And you know, these institutions respond to those political power structures. And so what you're seeing is this, this, you know, this fear that I think Tucker Carlson articulates it well in his book, Ship of Fools, this fear of an American people awoken to you know, what the establishment has been doing to them, what, what, what um, the Obama administration called a strategy of managed decline, uh, which showed that there was an intentionality in the actions of these this this sort of dark alliance between um you know the Marxist slash communists that now have taken over the Democratic Party and the corporatist slash chamber of commerce crowd that has taken over the Republican Party. And um you know if the corporations are able to pass costs for healthcare whatever you know whatever over to the state, they're more than happy to do so. So an American people awakened to you know to awoken to what was happening you know really put really put their agenda um you know in the crosshairs and so absolutely they they were terrified of the movement and you know the president buckled in and took over as the leader of a movement that that you know I personally believe really began back in 2009 2010 with the Tea Party right uh, and and has it has its roots back in you know the 1940s and 1950s anti anti communist movements um and so we see that manifesting itself today, and you know they are—they are very much for you know their rea- their reaction to Trump was not like a reaction to a Bush presidency or any any other of the Republican candidates, even Ted Cruz. Would not have generated the response that President Trump
1: has. Right. So the the accelerated um, actions against the liberty of the people of America is basically like a wounded animal, kind of <laughs> afraid of what is uh, uh, standing there before it. But by the same token, we know that this this various nefarious list of players includes the left and the establishment, so called Republicans, the media, the academe, the Marxists, and the Islamists. And of course, we could all ball them into one name called the communists, or we could call them Goliath, and our Goliath is global. So, you know, even if they are afraid of us, the odds, I mean, what are the odds? It's like we're a bunch of Davids, and that's good, but um, how effectively are we going to be able to fight this global Goliath?
0: Well, right, right now, I think, you know, it, it, you know, just from an analytical standpoint, I think where I would classify us as we're a political insurgency, if you will, right? And you know we've we've not taken up arms, we aren't doing tax revolts yet, but people are awakening to their own disenfranchisement yeah. and I think what what's what's shocking to most people is that there's a level of intentionality behind what the other side is doing right they uh, oh sorry, we didn't think about that. that that's not what's happening
1: here right this is
0: this is highly intentional, and uh, you know we're we're where it's, where it's so transparent once you really put it under a microscope that it is what it is. And I think the American people uh, are kind of coming to grips with that and having to do so in an information environment that is completely controlled by the other side. Right. Um, and it, that, that makes the challenge that much more difficult.
1: You know, in that webinar, you then said that the Las Vegas attack was emblematic of what we are all seeing and facing right now, and, and, and that Stephen Paddock was not a lone gunman. But my question to you is with all the cameras, all the technology where I believe they, they're, you know, it seems like they're watching us at every um, traffic stop, at every corner, at every store. How is it that there were no cameras that showed <laughs> any other men or women entering into that room or even or, or even phone conversations with him?
0: Well, again, Again, I mean, my my, my summation, you know, it, it boils it down very simply. This this individual paddock, you know, I'm not I'm not some uh, conspiracy theory guy. I, I'm I'm basically stating facts. This individual paddock brought um, 23 weapons to the room: 22 long rifles and a pistol. Um, we know through the door lock interface that there was a second individual, you know, in and about the room at the in the immediate minutes prior to the attack. We know that uh, ISIS claimed the attack four times. ISIS said they were going to attack two times prior to the event. And that Antifa, out of Melbourne, Australia, also claimed the attack. So when I, you know, when I did my analysis of the event and the, my colleagues and I looked at it, we did it from a trade craft and unconventional warfare standpoint. You know, you don't bring 23 weapons and 6,000 rounds of ammunition to the room and only fire seven of the weapons and then off yourself. It just doesn't happen that way. The other thing that really spoke to us was there was a level of fire discipline executed by whoever fired the weapon or weapons into the crowd in that they only engaged that specific target. A country western concert on military and police appreciation night. They weren't shooting at random people on the street. They weren't shooting at random people at the bus stop in front of the hotel. They executed tremendous fire discipline. And any cop will tell you, you know, in the target is the motive. Now, what I found most frightening about Vegas, and I've not seen all of the various camera feeds and other intelligence related to the event, um, was the way that the FBI handled the response. The FBI simply punted on first down and allowed the Las Vegas sheriff to take over. Um, Of course, Las Vegas, you know, has their own political reasons for not, you know, for for not wanting it to be a terrorist attack, you know, in in that, you know, they're very much dependent on tourism. Um, But I I find it amazing that 500 Americans were shot down, you know, 58 of them fatally in America and not one congressional hearing was held. uh, Not, you know, no investigative journalist ever really dug into this beyond, you know, one or two Internet personalities.
1: Yes. uh, And they
0: they only kind of, you know, half-stepped it.
1: We don't, we don't hear anything. We, we We haven't heard anything. No updates, anything. Um right. It's like it's a blockout, as is Nadel Hassan, who was the Fort right. hood shooter. Now, why don't we have an update about these incidents that are so critically important to our safety? I mean, are they i'm 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 not a, I'm not necessarily a conspiracy theorist, but I believe in conspiracy fact. And mm-hmm. so if you look at all of the, um, moving parts in any of these issues, and then and then and then you get to a point where you say this doesn't make sense. Who can mm-hmm. we trust to do the investigation when it's been revealed that the FBI, the CIA, the NSA have all been compromised, including DOJ, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Right. I, I think. <clears throat> I think right now we you know we we have to, in a way, we have to ex- accept the fact that we're on our own. That. um, the president, I think, has it on his agenda for 2020, albeit he's not speaking about it. I think he's now recognized you know, how compromised many of these institutions Your are. Your
1: connection is going a little bit bad, Rich. Can you get back to a good cell, please?
0: Yeah, I'll call you back. All right, no, no,
1: no, no. It sounds good now if you stay right where you're at.
0: Okay, I'm not moving, so. Oh, okay. Um, um, I think that, you know, the the, the, cha- the challenge is um, you, re- you recognizing that the institutions themselves have um, you know at least the top layer of these bureaucracies that is ideologically aligned with the globalist Marxist corporatist worldviews and you know in it, like in any organization whether it be a business or a department or agency you're going to have to cut down several top layers of the institution in order to clean out that corruption now mm-hmm. the president came in not realizing how deep that that corrupt you know that corruptive rot had kind of permeated into the system. Um, you know the damage done. You know in the Bush administration was was you know multiplied by an order of magnitude in the Obama administration, where you know you had our first openly communist president. Right. Uh, he and a community organizer, which is right out of Saul Alinsky's book, where you know the term he used is communist community organizer.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you know, that you said it- openly communist because it it wasn't our first communist president, but certainly Obama is our first openly communist president.
0: Correct. And I think that what what you see happening is, um, you know, the damage that his personnel, like John Brennan, did to the institutions that they, you know, that they led, uh, you know, it has... Has forced us into a you know we we, we need to do a re- there's a restoration that has to take place either that or we can just you know we could jettison these organizations and start over I think we're at the point right now where you know that's where we are
1: yeah I would agree with that I've been saying for a while that we ought to take 150 years worth of our written laws and burn them in a fire and start over because we've got to get back to the constitutional republic and in fact I know you say that very thing this is not a partisan issue it's a it's a it's a personal issue and we've got to get back to our constitutional rule of law. Um, uh, in this uh, interview that you did for Act for America, you said that uh, Gina Haspel, the new CIA lady at the time, now this interview must have been around March of 2018. I didn't write a date down on my notes, but that would seem to be the, the, the time frame because of this comment that you made, that Gina Haspel will go in to protect the institutions rather than to protect the people's interest. And in fact... Um, she's still the CIA director. She's a career operational CIA player. she has been in the CIA for over 30 years. So why hasn't Trump done something about that?
0: Well, a big part of uh, the president's challenge there is the Republican establishment in the Senate, right? I mean, all of these positions that require Senate confirmation have to go through Senator Richard Burr and Senator McConnell. And candidly, they have not uh, helped the president on his personnel uh, at all. I mean, the most recent example of this was, you know, the president you know, wanted to nominate um, Congressman John Ratcliffe uh, to take over as the director of national intelligence. Uh, Senator Burr would not even meet with him. Uh, Senator McConnell, you know, wouldn't approve it, and so the president had to ask, you know, the congressman to withdraw his nomination. Um, you know, it's you know, he, you're you're dealing with a deep it's a deep rooted issue. You know, the, the presidency alone can't do this. Uh-huh. You know, we we need to get MAGA senators into position, MAGA members of Congress into position, Democrat or Republican. It uh, it doesn't matter. It's more important that they understand that that return to a constitutional republic is a is the, main, is the main issue at hand.
1: Well, yeah, and in fact, I've been saying that the Constitution is not only that the chains that are supposed to limit the actions of our legislators, it's also it could be used as a shield for them. If they would follow the Constitution and only uh, stay within those parameters of their actions, then if somebody comes, the media comes to them and says, well, why'd you do this? Well, it's constitutional. Here's the section. Here's the clause. <coughs> So, you know, you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican if, in fact, they're following a constitution. And, right. and, but they're not. And in this, um, in this interview, you also, I think you may have even ended by saying that it was going to be important for us to keep Congress in Republican hands in 2018. Well, we didn't do that. Um, so now what is your um, analysis or perception of what we do now?
0: Well, I, I have a I have a more positive view of what happened in 2018. Uh, you know, speaking you know speaking at the um, you know at the 50 thousand foot overview level, many of the Republican establishment characters were purged from Congress. Um, you know, the 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 fact of the matter is that you know, many of those Republicans weren't reelected because they did not embrace the president. They did not embrace his agenda, and so their voters just didn't turn out. Um, Republicans rejected them, and it allowed, well, it allowed that the Democrats there perhaps, you know, perhaps have a temporary reprieve from what's coming. Uh, I, I have, you know, I have faith that the American people is awake and will be more so over the next couple of weeks as uh, the FISA IG report comes out and the declassified documents begin to follow shortly thereafter, uh, along with several of the indictments that are imminent. Um, these, you know, this, this isn't um, some of this cute nonsense stuff. This this is what's this is what's going to happen, and uh, I, I think that the American public won't be able to escape the reality of how far off the rails uh, their government had gone.
1: Wow. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you have a positive outlook, because I keep trying to keep a positive outlook, and and then I get pulled into this this, this level of really, quite frankly, despair, thinking, how can we do this? But then I go back to saying, you know what, the big media I- is portraying the image in a much more um, nefarious way. I don't think it's quite, as you say, it, it, they, it's not quite as bad as what they want us to believe that it is. That's the information um, narrative that drives so much of what we see, and what I think is probably in error of what this country really represents.
0: Well, I, I think that um, the the challenge that we've had, you know, up, up until the Trump presidency, was finding an individual who was willing to stand in front and to take all the arrows. Yeah. And in in this president, you know. It, for all of his narcissistic tendencies and you know uh you know importance of self that same those same tendencies have been you know gifted to him as a way for him to withstand yeah. what's been thrown at him yeah and and fate, fate and God just they they work in strange ways, and they're not for us to understand necessarily and the the gifting of President Trump is that he's forced. The other side to overplay their hand, yeah, and in so doing, is they have awakened, uh, you know, the sleeping giant of the American people, and I see it all across the country. Everywhere I go, people ask me these questions, and they are aware. Uh, so, you know, people that aren't willing to be spoon-fed and actually will do a little bit of digging on their own, yeah, will find the information that they're looking for. It's just not handed to them because our, you know our fourth estate has basically collapsed. Right, uh, the corporate media has just fallen down on the job
1: right uh, you, you know you also wrote a paper called the potus in the political warfare back in May of 2017 and um, you that's where I saw that you said that this is not politics as usual but it's a crisis level political warfare situation that raises clear title 18. 18- uh, concerns, And I found that interesting because, again, I've been talking about sedition on my show, and that's a Title 18 concern. Um, you know, Title 18, uh, Chapter 115 is Treason, Sedition, and Subversive Activities. And I, I- found it interesting that you said that... Uh, uh, Tolerance is actually intolerance, and that was like a, a an idea, a thought pattern of the founding uh, father of the Frankfurt School, Herbert McHughes. Uh, how can Correct. we break away from political correctness?
0: I think we need to recognize political correctness for what it is, which is you know it, it's a we- it's a weapon. It's a weapon deployed against critical thinking, and it's a weapon deployed against reason. And you know the the, the Marxists have for now a hundred years had the United States in their crosshairs, and they recognize that. You know our Christian heritage, our national identity, our system of beliefs—all of these things have to be vilified and negated in order for them to replace the culture with their state as God. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, what I was trying to do was to you know articulate for the public in that memo, and uh, and candidly, that's the same memo that was passed to the president. the the si- The situation, as I understood it, from a uh, you know from a historical standpoint, uh, which is which is you know to understand that. Their entire strategy of the Marxist globalist left depended upon Americans not waking from their slumber or by the time they were awoken you know the the, the gate had slammed shut behind them that has not happened uh, you know from from an operational standpoint, their coup attempt has failed uh, you know their second now go at it with this impeachment charade mm-hmm. uh, is also going to fail and the American public, is watching all of this and I, I, I you know i have a lot of faith in the american people that you know, they they are the most just and honest people on the planet and they resent the fact that their government and their corporate media benefactors have just taken to lying to them and denying their participation in reality as a as a matter of course is what they do um, you know, one of the one of the challenges that we have is moving past these fanciful words that sell easily in the media, like fake news. Every time the president says fake news, people need to hear that is what it is, which is propaganda. Yeah. You know, yeah. when people when people hear the term deep state, they need to think in terms of a counter state, which is the Marxist state within the state, uh, which operates by a different set of rules. It's 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 why we have this two tier or apparent two tier justice system. And uh, for those who didn't see. Um, Attorney General Barr's speech at Notre Dame a couple weeks ago—it's—it's it's really worth spending 40 minutes and listening to it because that is a man who understands what we're up against. Uh, one of the other really big challenges that we've had, and, and you know, you brought up the Frankfurt School, is the people who fought the Cold War. Okay, I, when I used to speak for the president uh, as a campaign surrogate back in 2015, 2016, I would start a lot of my talks with the with the, an expression that said. Our grandfathers were smarter than us. That's
1: interesting, Interesting. Rich. We're going to take this conversation into the next half hour of the Janice Daniels Show. I want to thank you for staying with us. We're talking to Mr. Rich Higgins, Senior Fellow of Unconstrained Analytics, and we're searching for answers to the question, can we keep our uniquely American, limited Republican form of government? That's the battle of our time. It's not partisan, it's personal. Stay tuned for more information on the Janice Daniels Show. We'll be right back.
0: The Janice Daniels Show. Janice Daniels Show. On Wham Talk 1600 and 92.7 FM.
1: We're talking this afternoon to Mr. Rich Higgins, Senior Fellow of Unconstrained Analytics. And I'd like to ask you a few questions about Bill Barr, the State Department, Uh, go back into that issue about Title 18 concerns. But right now, I want to remind my friends that if they need a truly wonderful experience in custom jewelry designed specifically for you with a unique look that no one else is wearing that is so important. So I do want to encourage you to do your due diligence by contacting international diamond importers. The International Diamond Importers has over 35 years of expertise in designing, not just selling, but designing and selling, engagement, anniversary, special occasion, diamond jewelry, and they have a wide range of pre-mounted diamonds and gemstone jewelry in every price range to satisfy everybody's unique look. And it is the holiday season, so we do have that special occasion right upon us. Now, diamond, International Diamond Importers is located at 945 South Rochester Road in Rochester Hills, Michigan on the northeast corner corner of Rochester and Avon Roads. Call them today at 248- 652-6040 and please tell them that Janice sent you. Help us by helping our advertisers and by helping yourself to the International Diamond Importers Experience in Timeless Beauty. That's 248-652-6040 and com. I do want to thank International Diamond Importers for their generous support of the Janice Daniels Show LLC. You can help support the show too. If the information that I share on this uh, show is important to you and your family, and I think it should be. Please send your best financial contribution to the Janice Daniels Show LLC, Post Office Box 4643, Troy, Michigan 48099. That's Janice Daniels Show LLC, PO Box 4643, Troy, Michigan 48099. Thank you so much. Rich, I want to get back into our uh, conversation about Title 18, subversion, <coughs> sedition. And, in fact, I, I looked at Section 2384, which is called Seditious Conspiracy, or that's where seditious conspiracy is discussed. And it states that if two or more persons conspire to overthrow, put down, or destroy by force, prevent, hinder, or delay any law of the United States, um, they can be fined or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. But that that, that clause, by force, to me, deserves some discussion because, uh, you know, when you think of war or armed struggle, uh, you're talking about violent force, but it doesn't have to necessarily be violent force to be considered force. I think that um, shaping the narrative is a force that we have yet to really reckon with. I know that you have done some work on that as well. Go ahead.
0: Sure. I mean, I I think that, you know, when people hear the word first, Force. They They automatically default to a mil, you know a military mindset. But yeah. you know, ask ask Mike Flynn or General Flynn if he has dealt with force. Right. I mean the the ability of law enforcement to crash into your house, seize your assets, you know, seize your communication, seize your personal property. That's a form of force. Yeah. And I think. You know, so law—you know—law enforcement is part of it. Um, You know, another example of one of the most coercive arms of government is the Internal Revenue Service. You know, and and they've been involved in some of this as well. And so, I I think my guess—and I don't know this for sure—my guess is that the Attorney General and uh, U.S. Attorney Durham. Uh, have seditious have have re- reviewed and have several lawyers reviewing the seditious conspiracy clauses under Title eighteen <laughs> uh, because my guess is that that is what they're that is what they're using to go after these guys.
1: Yeah, you know, um, and, and and force can also be the force of the narrative, the 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 TV special, the movie that promotes um, whatever. Kind of a situation that I wouldn't even want to discuss or even talk about, but it shapes people's perceptions about things, and and that can be as dangerous as the FBI breaking your door down. Sure. In, in fact, you know, speaking I- about Michael uh, Michael Flynn, um, you had said in your um, webinar. Uh, interview was that he had to be removed because, as the National Security Advisor, he wouldn't approve of the operation, the deep state operation that was being perpetrated.
0: Correct. And he, he, you know, part of the Foreign Intelligence and Surveillance Act requires a White House notification. You know, if you're, you know, if you intend to spy on an American with the belief or supposition or predication that they are, you know, actively working for a foreign power, you know, you as the deputy attorney general or the FBI director can you know, sign out the warrant, but that warrant must go through a White House notification process. The office that receives that is the national security advisor and his lawyers, and they review it and give a White House approval before the either deputy attorney general or FBI director you know, petition the court for the, you know, for the warrant. So, you know, the reason that I think, you know, um, Andrew McCabe, the de- FBI deputy director, and you know famously Lisa Page as lawyer, and Peter Strzok, were fumbling around with Flynn's 302 and changing the wording on it, is because they knew they needed to get him out of there as quickly as possible before he caught wind of what they were up to.
1: I see. In fact, it, during that webinar, you had mentioned that Bruce and Nellie Orr, um, which were Soviet operators, need to be looked at. And that was pretty, Pretty perceptive. You were—they were already on your radar.
0: Oh, these, these, these people are well known to you know to to some my, my team. You know the the quote unquote uh, white hats inside the system are, are well and familiar with Nelly Orr. Uh, I don't know where you know where Bruce or, Bruce Orr falls into the ideological spectrum. I, I've just never met the man. Uh, but Nellie, you know her her background is such that just raises a lot of red flags. I mean, studying in the Soviet Union at the height of the Cold War. Um, having her ham radio operator's license. And, you know, I mean, that's Cold War tradecraft, uh, a, a, an approach called one-way voice link, which is how you would talk to an overseas handler or send send coded messages uh, on upcoming events to your handler uh, for, you know, for explicit and non-explicit tasking. So, you know, the, 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 the challenges here are robust. And, I, you know, I think that you know, like I, I said before the break, you know, our grandfathers were smarter than us because they understood these things uh, at a much deeper level than we do today. And we we've lost sight of the communist threat. I mean, I can tell you, as somebody who operated inside the national security community for more than twenty years, uh, I had to go outside of the community to the retired guys, most of whom are in their seventies and eighties now, uh, to learn at you know to learn at their knee uh, how these you know how these ideological fights are fought what the true nature is of communism, What you know, why, why was it such a threat that we fought the Cold War, and so on. Uh, you know, our, our young analysts in the intelligence community today are frankly not taught this stuff.
1: You know, I also saw an interview panel, a forum that you were on with Diana West discussing her book, The Red Thread, and mm-hmm. she just does a marvelous job of going back and researching these 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 threads of, of importance to try to understand this massive quite frankly infiltration of our country um, at so many different levels but um, you said that you um, thought that it was kind of interesting to you that uh, a, a country like the United States was which was founded upon an idea we don't understand intellect in in Ideological warfare.
0: Right, we're very bad at it. Yeah, and, I, and why
1: is that? Do you have a uh, a supposition of why that is?
0: I, I think, in large part, it's because you know we, we they they use our strength you know they use our strengths against us. I mean, you know, Americans are very much kind of live and let live people, right? Yeah. I mean, you know there's a there's a there's a privacy expectation. And you can believe what you want to believe. The the challenges become uh, when when these external threats become manifest, or, you know, as we see today, where these ideological threats take over wholesale, uh, the leadership of some of our most important and vital national security institutions, we need to be able to recognize that. And, you know, that, that blind spot, whether it be, you know, with the war on terrorism and the Islamic movement or the international Marxist movement, you uh, yeah, you know, that, that blind spot is a strategic vulnerability that exists to this day.
1: Yeah, and uh, of course, there's always the problem that uh, the, the deep staters are um, denying us and denying our, our intelligence community the materials that they need. For example, one of the takeaways from uh, Diana West's first book, or one of her other books, The American Betrayal, was that early on she identified in that in 2012, then-FBI director Robert Mueller, attended a briefing that led to the purging of FBI educational materials on Islam and jihad. Now, this is the same player that, that that led this so-called Mueller report, the destruction of Donald Trump, that is still being used as if it was something based upon the truth. So in the first case, he denies the FBI... Uh, Specialist, the the truth, and then he creates an alternate truth and expects us all to believe it. This guy really seems like he's a dangerous character.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that hundred percent. I mean, I, I you know, I grew up in Boston around the time of you know Whitey Bulger and the Winter Hill Gang, and you know Mo- Mueller, you know, famously allowed uh, one of his agents to to run the FBI, um, you know, to run the FBI in parallel with uh, some of these criminal gangs. Uh, and you know he he's shown to be very morally flexible on issues where there really is you know little gray area, and uh you know and, and the whole country now is now suffering because of it.
1: Well, that's a kind, very diplomatic way of putting it.
0: I'd be I'd be yeah. Yeah, you
1: really are. You know what? I I can't understand um, men like Brennan, Comey. Um, they were Obama. They were all able to. Um hire and put people into various levels of go- the government bureaucracy that are so deep over a course of a 25-year career how many people did James Comey put in the government that are still there and how are we going right. to root them out
0: right that that is one of the things that I'm you know impressing the the folks I know today at the White House and the national Council know, to understand is that you know, in any, any sort of an intelligence compromise, you do something called the gain-loss assessment, which is, you know, you go back through and you re reexamining uh, the damage that the individual, you know, may or may not have been able to accomplish given the position that they occupied. And right now, we have to accept the fact that we had an FBI director who, at least at one point in his life, uh, was, was um, enthralled, uh, if not outright, a Marxist. Yeah, uh, we had a, a CIA director who was a communist at the height of the Cold War. Right. Uh, we have General Clapper who was uh, very pro-Soviet, and you know there are some stories that are not public about him. Uh, and so you know we, our entire intelligence community right now has to be seen as as uh, potentially compromised by these ideologues. Uh, and we, we you know it's, it it shouldn't be lost on the people listening today that you know the, the latest whistleblower is a you know Brennan acolyte. Um, You know, Arabic speaking, Russian speaking, Ukrainian speaking guy who, you know, was, again, brought in, recruited out of Yale by John Brennan. And uh, my guess, uh, you know, was probably taking operational taxi from John Brennan while he was in the National Security Council, uh, you know, left there specifically for the purpose of sabotaging the Trump presidency.
1: Right, right. You called uh, the Trump presidency a counter-revolutionary presidency. and
0: Absolutely. yeah, He's the most anti-communist president this country has ever had. I know, I love Even it. Even more so than Reagan.
1: Yeah, I love it. And you know, the interesting thing is, is over time, we've had people, men like Whitaker Chambers or Joe McCarthy, come up and say, look, we've got a problem here with the communist infiltration. And, and, and then these sedition laws that are put into place that are supposed to protect the American um framework of government and then we allow the enemy of our way of life to use our laws to destroy our laws
0: exactly That's I mean, exactly what they're doing
1: yeah it is
0: it, it's 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 their operational design I mean one of the one of the things that people if you haven't seen it or you haven't read my memo uh, where I footnote this uh, I, I linked to a YouTube interview with a guy named Yuri Desmanoff Uh, who was a Soviet defector in the 1980s. And uh, he he did a series of interviews, television interviews. And in those interviews, one one of the interviews that I linked to, they asked him, um, you know, did you work in the 60s and 70s with these Marxist campus groups, like Students for Democratic Society or the Black Panthers? And he just started laughing. He goes, no, we didn't have to work with them. They're just useful idiots. The people we went after were the Republicans. Republican leadership groups, Republican student groups, the Boy Scouts, the Catholic Church, Christian groups, pastoral ministries. These are the groups we went after. And so what you see today in the Paul Ryans and the John Boehners and the Mitch McConnells is the intended outcome of those efforts 30, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the purposeful um, negation of any sort of a counterweight to the Marxist movement yeah, so, you know, and de facto, what, what that's left us with is, um, you know, the Republican Party holds us in position, fixed in position, while the you know the Marxist Democrats insert the knife.
1: Yeah, boy, isn't that the truth? Well said. Again, um, that that brings to mind what is your opinion of Bill Barr? I, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit worried that he's another Trey Gowdy, which I think Trey Gowdy was the the greatest showman on the face of the planet, but nothing ever seemed to get done.
0: Right. Well, I mean, first off, uh, Congressman Gowdy was constrained by his Republican leadership in the House. Don't ever forget that. Okay. I think that's one of the reasons he left is that he was you know, just frustrated with uh, John Boehner and and Paul Ryan. Uh, and I think that you know, we we need to understand that. Second, um, Bill Barr is a serious man. Um, you know, there, you'll see some stuff on the internet about how you know he worked for the CIA once upon a time. He was involved in this that scandal, whatnot. Look, the, go- the government gets itself into situations at times that that require that. I mean, I, I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't certain things that the public doesn't need to know. I mean, that, that's 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 just naive to think that. Yeah. I think that the the the, the, qu- the question that that I've had, and and I think you know the attorney general is answering that kind of robustly, which is, you know, do, does he want to return to the constitution? to the constitutional ethos that governs the Republic. Right. And everything I've seen thus far is true. Now, you'll see on the internet where people are upset that Roger Stone was arrested and so on and so forth, that Assange was arrested. Well, Roger Stone was hurriedly arrested by the FBI prior to Barr being confirmed. You know, they they moved quickly to get that arrested prosecution underway before Barr could come in and prevent it. And one you know, once the wheels start turning it's very difficult for an A G Attorney General to come in and then, you know, shut down, shut down a prosecution. They're just not going to do that. I see. Um, the, se- the second thing is, I think the Assange arrest was more about what he did with um, Chelsea Manning and the stealing of the 250,000 classified documents. And it had, had, you know, nothing to do with the, with the ele- you know, the electoral play that, you know, Assange may or may not have been involved in. Right. And so I, I, I see Barr in, in, in his allowing the Durham investigation to proceed unhindered. Uh, in his support that he's provided as a kind of a stabilizing influence outside of the the normal political uh, back and forth. Uh, I I just have a a profound level of faith in the man. And he's done nothing, you know, to this point, to my knowledge— to, to have lost
1: that well wow, well I'm really glad that you're saying these kinds of things because again I have this um, I'm bouncing from one end to the other where I'm feeling extremely confident about everything and our ability to fight this this uh, deep state problem that we have in this country and then and then total despair and again I think a lot of the members of my audience also feel this way so um, hopefully uh, they can also get some strength and and um, some comfort from what you're saying. But what do you think yeah. about this um, December 11th hearing on the FISA abuse?
0: Well, I think everybody's going to be, um, I think everybody's going to some of what comes out of the FISA report. Uh, if you're waiting for a thousand people to be arrested, you're going to be just dis- disappointed, right? I mean, you're fighting an expectation challenge. What the FISA report, I think, will show is a clear abuse of power by people trusted, uh, with the most sensitive capabilities of the government and using those capabilities to fulfill their own you know personal agendas um, you know what, where I think where I think the where the FISA IG is going to be most beneficial is in understanding the subsequent events so my, my guess on this is and I you know I've talked to the people on the uh, at the White House about this the FISA IG will come out and it will offer a 500 page roadmap to help people understand how the Department of Justice and the FBI, it does not include the Defense Department, it does not include the Sky, just the Department of Justice and the FBI abused their authority and their power, uh, misused and abused the processes put in place as safeguards of our constitutional freedoms. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, serve, we'll serve to kind of uh, offer up a picture through which um, a greater understanding of the subsequent events including the declassification and release of many of the documents uh that that will highlight you know, what went on inside crossfire hurricane and the intelligence community um, between brennan and comey and clapper and the national security advisor and then subsequent to that having to classify those documents or release them to the public you'll begin to see some indictments rolling out now if you're expecting hundreds of people to be indicted i don't think we can realistically expect that i I think what we'll see is probably in 10 to 20 people indicted, um, you know, several of whom will be household names. Uh, some will get away as unindicted co-conspirators. And, I mean, we we just have to understand, though, that the return to truth is more important, in my opinion, than, than just strictly indictments.
1: Yeah, um, that's true, but you're actually saying that on Monday we will hear 10 to 20 people being indicted? Uh, no,
0: yeah. I think what will happen is that on Monday, when the report drops on the 9th, and then the subsequent testimony, that will provide for people a picture of inside the Department of Justice, in particular their abuse of their uh, human intelligence and signal intelligence capabilities, mm-hmm. and then that will offer a roadmap that will be useful as the declassification documents begin to come out. Uh, I'm told by folks at the White House there are about 25 or 30 declassified documents that get to the uh, command and control and decision-making that went into uh, the operation targeting the president. And then following that, you'll begin to see um, the Attorney General and the U.S. Attorney Drop some indictments of individuals that were involved in the in the plot to overthrow the president.
1: I see. Will it go as high as uh, Clinton or Obama or uh, even um, Eric Holder?
0: Do you think? I I I honestly don't know. I mean, I I, I I've got to believe that Loretta Lynch and Susan Rice are pretty nervous right about now. Okay. Um, You know, and I I don't know what kind of political deals will be made on the Hill. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, it's Washington. Everything's political. Uh, We just have to be mature about that. At the same time, some of these violations are so egregious that they're just not going to be able to look the other way. I, I think what you're going to see happen. My, my my guess is, um, the politicals may or may not be indicted. I think you'll see some of the individuals that were responsible for these institutions, the FBI, the CIA, elements of the Defense Department. Those individuals are going to be held to task because you know when they when they're confirmed by the Senate, uh, and you know when they're given this tremendous responsibility. That uh, that it, it it's you know they forgot the strategic nature of their oath, and they forgot who they really work for, which is the American people. Yeah. And you know politicians ask for things all the time, and institutional leaders just you know say no. You know we you know we're not we're not going down that road. You're dragging us into a place we can't go. And you know the political leader may not like that, and you know he may even fire you. But that that's 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 the cost of of being a patriot. Yeah. And, I think that what you're going to see is the people that get punished will be those who allowed their institutions to be to be used so uh, maliciously.
1: So, in other words, we still will have a two tiered justice system where some people really are above the law.
0: I don't know if you call it above the law. I mean, hi- history—it'll be like Medusa. History will turn these people to stone. Yeah. Um, you know the the you know do you do you. Do you want to go down as Barack Obama, the guy who, you know, tried to coordinate a coup against the, the next president? I mean, it's, it's, it, there's, yeah, there's, there's a, the, the, in, in many ways for these people, I think the political cost is a better punishment for them. Um
1: I don't. intend
0: just, you know, doing a five-year prison sentence.
1: I want to see, well, you know, probably so, because the prison that they would ultimately end up in, if they did go exactly, to prison, exactly. would be better than anything I've ever lived in. It, 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 yeah. It,
0: exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, the the um, jury in a, of a deck of cards in the um, court of public opinion is going to be the only way that we're going to be able to get these people to come to some sort of justice, I assume, is what you're right, saying.
0: Right, I mean... I. I Right, I I think it began. You know, look, the American people have already begun to bring the justice, and they, in the in the United States, the American people are the sovereign. Yeah. And so you know, they they already rejected Hillary Clinton due to her corruption and malfeasance, which is a great first step. True. And I think that the Democrats and the Republican establishment people in, on Capitol Hill right now, are like I like we began this conversation, they are terrified of an american people awoken to their role as the sovereign
1: that is so uh, excellent Rich, I want to tell you we're at the end of the hour, and I want to sincerely thank you for staying with me for this fascinating hour of conversation. I want my audience to be sure to go to your website, unconstrainedanalytics.org. That's unconstrainedanalytics.org. I want to thank my audience for listening, and please remember to send your love letters, your hate mail, or your best ongoing financial contributions to the Janice Daniels Show, Post Office Box 4643 Troy, Michigan, 48099. Spread the word. It's Wham! And I'm Janice Daniels. See you next weekend.